Hi, I'm Tony. And I'm Patrick. And we'd like to welcome you to another episode of Cave to the Cross Apologetics. On this week's episode, we're continuing in our discussion of Mitch Stokes' books on a uh, book on how to be an atheist. And so we have worked our way up to chapter 10. And he is, uh, this chapter finishes the section on um on science, right? right? That's, yeah. where, that's where he's headed here. So if you're getting sick of us talking about quantum mechanics or poorly <laughs> explaining string theory, which I did receive one message that helped somebody understand it. So there you go. Uh, yeah. Again, that was probably Mitch Stokes writing, not us, but we muddled our way through it. Yeah, so this chapter is called God the Field Hypothesis, and he wants to now finish up this issue of science and see where we have, uh, where where it gets us with regard to postulating whether or not God exists right. really is what he's, what yeah. he's getting at. I think uh, Mitch Stokes is pretty fair in this book, too, because every time he makes a really good point, he goes, well, let's put that aside and let's grant the other person this. So yeah, he's yeah. granted a lot, and right. he's going to so continue to do so. we'll see a lot of so. granting in this chapter. <laughs> yeah. right? Okay, this is a problem, this is a problem, but let's just say it's not. Now where does it <laughs> right. get us? Yeah, yeah. yeah, so he says here... Um, uh, let's suppose that everything that science says about the physical part of the reality, even the part we can't observe, is entirely true. Although he's just spent a lot of time talking right. to us about why though we should be skeptical about that right. stuff, right? So let's see, let, he says, let's would this show then that there is no God, or that even if there is, he isn't responsible for the cosmos' existence and behavior? And he answers. Not obviously, right? <laughs> and so now what he wants to do here is to walk us through again briefly uh, M theory. Uh, you recall that was one of the quantum uh, or theories about the, uh, the, uh, uh, the nature of the universe. Mm-hmm. And he says there that Hawkins argues, uh, argued that contemporary physics in the form of M theory makes God superfluous, at least in that God isn't needed to explain the universe's existence. Right. And it's an astonishing complexity in order. And so, you know, mathematics, he says, is what they say tell us that's what M theory is all about. Tells us we are assured that the universe can be created spontaneously out of nothing by quantum fluctuations. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's where it comes from. All right, so that's kind of uh, where he starts here, and that's Hawking's uh, claim and issue. Right. And so he, now he points out several problems with right. that, right? So here, Hawking's in, in trying to nail down uh, existence, uh, let's see, why things exist, why they are the way they are, and why the rules are the way they are. Instead of taking that one dart and trying to hit the bullseye, he just uses 500 darts and says good enough and th- yeah. that explains it so yeah. eventually with 500 darts you're going to hit the bullseye somewhere you'll yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. you get us so yeah. there yeah. you go that's right even though the bullseye might be there and you're <laughs> aiming over there eventually you'll hit it right somehow and and no one believes in 499 other ones that, <laughs> that can be tested it's just assumed <laughs> so he says unfortunately things aren't quite as easy as hawkins has suggested one problem stems from his instrumentalism right. as you'll recall the instrumentalist said says something to the effect that you know we're not interested in whether or not theories are true 
We just want to make sure that they work, right, that they allow for prediction and that sort of thing. Right. So he says one problem is is uh, Hawking's instrumentalism, or it's also called non-realism, right? So if he's an instrumentalist, why should we take his arguments seriously? He himself says that we shouldn't believe what science says about unobservables. Yeah. That's the idea of instrumentalism, right? It says, for instance, uh, we don't know whether or not quarks exist, we can't observe them, mm-hmm. but we can postulate perhaps or maybe uh, uh, as long as they allow us to make predictions right. and that sort yeah. of thing. Right? Does it work? Yeah, sure. Yeah. For now it does. <laughs> yeah. So if we're if we're to take his scientific authority seriously, shouldn't we take his instrumentalism seriously uh, as well? <laughs> and so... But so that's the first issue. All right, you're an instrumentalist, so you, how can you speak to whether or not the fact of a particular whether or not God exists? You're not even sure if non-observables exist, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, give me a break here. Mm-hmm. Is right. really what's going on, right? But he says, and and here here he goes, right? He's going to put that to the side. He <laughs> says, but let's ignore that problem and suppose that Hawking's is wrong about instrumentalism, and that M theory isn't merely a useful tool. That's what instrumentalist says for predicting and describing phenomena, right? So would there be anything about M theory then, even with this with these concessions, that uh, is inconsistent with God's existence or with His ultimate role in the universe's creation? And he says, "Well, it's hard to see that there would." Right. Right. Um, he says, uh, "After all, it seems possible that these quantum fluctuations are simply, perhaps, God's means of creating all these universes." ex nihilo, intending that one of them produce hum- humanity. Right, which we see someone like William Lane Craig use this exact same argument for his own purposes. And clearly he's not discounting God in it. In fact, right. he's using it to bolster up his claim and his view of who God is and stuff like that. And th- there are definite, definite problems with, with utilizing that, but he, uh, at least we can agree that William, Craig, William Lane Craig is not an idiot who's arguing against his own position uh you know in, in what he considers kind of the best best argumentation especially in light of m theory he's trying to use, utilize it and so here here's someone who's using hawking's own theory kind of against him so it doesn't follow that uh god is superfluous or that he doesn't exist and uh, he goes on to explain about you know uh m- maybe utilizing that kind of uh uh, evolutionary approach of you know we'll eventually get it is is how God operates and um, Craig uh, even puts God even above those multi universes and said that you know in pretty much every single universe God is above it so right, right. Yeah. so so even though we might hold to it and it might be you know we might be on the right track there that doesn't mean that that God didn't use that. Mm-hmm. Some purposes, right. right? Furthermore, he says, consider all the universes that M theory posits, each one with different physical laws. The vast number of these different legal systems is further legislated by the more fundamental <laughs> meta laws of M theory, right? But then he he asks, why do those why those these meta laws? Why did they, where did they come from? Right. right? I thought this was interesting too because at some basic factor. Um, Hawkins was saying, you know, here's here's universal universals, uh, you know, like he says they're they're meta laws. Yeah. So why, if you can believe in meta laws, why can't you just believe in a single state of universal laws, uh, you know, in in this universe? But you don't. The only reason that you need to to 
um, have metal laws first is that you can't kind of postulate uh, things that are well. What does the law of non-contradiction look like in, you know, universe three fifty-seven? <laughs> well, you know, there sometimes the car is in the garage and sometimes it's not. But you know, it depends if it's Tuesday or not. Then, <laughs> then it can be in both places. But you know, it, the only reason that he's really using this is so he can get away from the fact that the, the just the sheer um, the possibility, the 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 preconditions needed for uh, the universe to bang to come into existence to have the the hear the universal laws uh possible to operate the way right. it does then sort of to get to us rains on the rocks for millions of years yeah. life evolves um through you know a very minute uh, uh possibility that even they admit so even if you take for granted all, all other pieces of his his idea of how the universe came to about um he seems to be wanting kind of his cake and eating it too yeah. yep there are meta universal laws when we talk about 500 universes but not not this one <laughs> so. yeah so so the issue is you know where the laws come from right and right. of course you can't rule out god yeah right he gives us no reason to think that god himself isn't the cause of the laws in the universe. <laughs> right, right? It, if, if you have the the bag of marbles and each marble is a universe you know who's who's holding the bag in that, in that one <laughs> yeah yeah so 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 here's the issue right can you have laws without a lawmaker right and he's suggesting that uh hawkins and his theory doesn't give us any reason to 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 not believe that there is a lawmaker right that has made it made the laws right right you can go farther and say that hawkins uh almost accidentally argues for the existence of god in fact uh, Romans 1 tells us that everyone believes that, so they operate um, kind of uh, in their worldview uh, with those kind of uh, preconceptions, and they borrow from the, the Christian worldview to, to operate. But here, Stokes is, is just saying, just saying that he doesn't make his case. You know, if, right. if, if, you're, right. if you're trying to uh, say God is uh, guilty of not existing, uh, he's 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 failed in his right, his attempt. Right, right. Number one, uh, you know, just because there are um, M theory posits all of these quantum fluctuations. Number one, and he puts this aside. Instrumentalism doesn't allow you to to you know it's a non-realist position, so you can't. It doesn't say whether or not these various non-observables exist. To God clearly exist at all. Mm -hmm. Clearly, God is non-observable, so it can't even comment on that. Right. And secondly, you know, um, it's hard to see that uh, these quantum fluctuations, why and how, and the universes that they produce, why why not we say that God is the uh, you know is the source of those? Mm -hmm. Well, there's no way to say that either, right? Right. That they didn't come from God, right? And so there's no reason to believe that God Himself isn't the cause. Then, thirdly, of the laws of the various universes, because, you know. If you have law, you would expect the lawmaker type mm -hmm. of thing, right? right? And so, yes, you're right. Uh, he's claiming here that Hawkins really doesn't make his case that God doesn't exist, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Next one is Lawrence Krauss. Right? Yeah, our good friend Lawrence Krauss. He, yeah. Kind of a curmudgeon uh, is pre presented here, and I've seen interviews and debates, and he tends to be curmudgeon-y a bit. <laughs> um, so Lawrence Krauss, again, um, takes the, the M-theory, 
but however, he uh, I'm sorry, he doesn't use them theory. In fact, um, Krauss is not keen on any form of string theory. Rather, he uses good old-fashioned quantum field theory. So again, our, our biggest problem with Krauss is he says, you know, nothing produced everything. Uh, but then when you drill down and you figure out that, well, he's using the term nothing for us plebes down here at the, the base of reality who don't understand when scientists say nothing, they, they actually mean something. Hmm. Um, he means, he means uh, when he says nothing, he means empty space. So uh, all, all life in the universe uh, arose from this empty space, all planets, all you know, uh, light, everything uh, uh, came about from this empty space. So he, he even says, uh, when uh, I want to be clear about the, what kind of nothing I'm discussing at the moment, this is the simplest version of nothing, namely empty space. Now me, me, and I'm a plebe here, the simplest version of nothing is nothing. <laughs> and, 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 and yeah, right? So yeah, that's it. So nothing is nothing, right? So <laughs> right. if you have, if nothing, if the simplest version is nothing is nothing, then the question, then the question is, then what is, uh, he, ha he gives us something. It's empty space. Right, right. He's, he, he, he jumpstarts his own thing. It's, yeah. uh, you, you, you wake up and all of a sudden life is here. Right. So, uh, Stokes goes on to say that, uh, empty space isn't nothing clearly. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then we kind of get the curmudgeon Krauss here. He says, once again, I realized that those who wish to continually redefine the word so that no scientific definition is practical, AKA, you, you know, you, you want accuracy in your definitions. <laughs> this version of nothing, empty space doesn't cut the mustard. And he goes on to, to blame Plato and Aquinas as well. But so again, utilizing the word nothing, it, it, reads it's kind of like reading the headline of news articles and assuming that you got it right. you know uh um you know uh, did did the uh did did the boston bomber uh, uh get radicalized through the watching of sesame street and then you're like oh you must have gotten radicalized through the the you know the, the messages of sesame street and you read the article it's like no no actual radicalization <laughs> was was found but yeah. they put a question mark on the end of it right, so right so, so it's up for yeah it's well at least people were discussing it so it's a possibility so we should <laughs> pull our children away from sesame street yeah so so if so empty space is something right what right. is empty space yeah it, it at the very least you have to say it it has uh, is curved it contains energy it's expanding and has properties is what he's saying yeah. so yeah. uh when when kraus refers back to um saying well you know even plato had had that type of thing for for plato uh, space was something as well and indeed something really strange so empty space is more than just nothing empty space has properties empty space yeah. is expanding empty space curves right it contains inner it's more than just nothing right so in fact it doesn't even approximate nothing is what he says <laughs> <laughs> right i mean and no one would say that you would say you know um how, how did that how did that cake get there it, that's in my fridge well it came from nothing Oh, okay. So it just like appeared there and, and on the platter. Well, no, there was this bowl, and then things just started to fly in from it out of nowhere. Well, hold on. The, you, you're talking about a bowl. What, where'd the bowl come from? Well, you need the bowl there because that's what right. contains everything. Because right. well, space contains it. Yeah, I understand. I understand <laughs> that. But you know, there, there. Uh, you know, it's it's made of glass, and uh, you know, is able to be uh, baked at a certain temperature. Like again, the the empty universe isn't is this kind of shell container but it still has has properties 
Um, so he goes to say that uh, the lesson is clear. This is uh, Krauss. Uh, quantum gravity not only appears to allow the universe to be created from nothing, meaning in this case, I emphasize the absence of space and time, it may require them. Nothing in this case, no space, no time, no anything is unstable. Uh, and then he says, I notice how that even goes beyond any existing quantum field theory to a theory of quantum gravity, uh, something that quantum field theory cannot yet provide. So again, um, this is the, the issue with the, the quantum field theories is they tend to make bigger claims than what they're able to prove. And you still get the law issue, the law, problem, <laughs> right. the law question, yeah. right? Yeah. Where are these laws that are doing these things come, come from, right? Yeah. Uh, so then he goes on to talk about um, uh, where the laws came from, and um, uh, David a Albert, a philosopher of physics, kind of um, comes back against uh, Krauss on this and says, what if he were in a position to announce, for instance, that the truth of quantum mechanics laws can be traced back to the fact that the world has some other deeper property X? Wouldn't we still be in a position to ask why X rather than Y? And is there at last such question? Is there some point at which the possibility of asking any further such questions somehow uh, definitively come to an end? How would that work? What would that look like? So um, he's he's still having to to, to come to grips with um, you know these as as Hawking said these meta laws. So you know, you know why why is the why is the universe curved? Why does it um, why does it contain these things? Why is it able to expand? So he's still uh, frustrating the uh, the question. Yeah, and so the real issue then is what do laws do? Right. right? Or what can they do? Or what they what do they allow for? Right. Uh, laws tell us how the elementary stuff of the universe is arranged, how it got there. As the laws of physics simply tell us how the universe behaves, not how it was born. So that's that's the issue is yeah, so laws have nothing to do with their their own origin right or the origin of anything <clears throat> the, right? the speed limit why, yeah. why why is the speed limit there well it's you know to make sure that people don't go so fast and they've determined that these you know these turns on these roads um a vehicle can take it at this amount well but no like why why are they there ultimately how did they how did how they, they get, get there? there yeah you know yeah. at what point oh, okay well these lawmakers came about yeah. and <laughs> again laws cannot <laughs> explain themselves right. right laws tell us what how things are uh you know working and operating and how they right. you know that sort of thing but they don't explain themselves right it's right? it's it's one of the really good points in uh, lyle's book uh, ultimate proof of creation where he talks about dna and how dna is information and there you have, oh, well, you know, life arises out of life because, you know, here's the information. It changes over time and small changes produce this. But go back to the original. What what do you mean information? Why, why is there information? And information in any other regard is a sign of intelligence that directs that, that information. Because if it's just random things bumping into each other, we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't call, um, you know, ping pong balls in, in a... In a you know, an air vacuum that bounce around as, as, you know, information. Yeah. As informational. Yeah. yeah uh, yeah. but if someone were to, uh, manipulate the ping pong balls so that they all went in a straight line and then their movement looked like a circle, um, we would say, Oh, that, that's odd. And uh, that's clearly had, had to come from someone. So yeah. Yeah. again, it's all pointing back to even more, I think the possibility of, of the existence of a lawmaker. Yeah. 
Uh, so, so he says, uh, would we have an explanation for why there's something rather than nothing? Unfortunately, no, we'd still have a problem of why there is an eternal bounding universe rather than nothing at all. To put it more provocatively, the question of why there's something rather than nothing simply isn't a scientific question at all. Maybe it's a philosophical one. Yeah, so the question is, all right, fine, let's assume that the, the universe has always been here. Okay, fine. Now the next question then is why is there something rather than nothing? Right. right? Again, it's not the what. Like going back to the billiard balls, sometimes we say, oh, why did that happen? We say, oh, the one billiard ball pushed against the other one. That tends to be the what. We're asking the, the why does it do that? Why why do the objects in motion affect each other? And, and kind of the more basic question. Why is the universe here? <laughs> right. Well, it's just here. To right? move the billiard balls. Yeah. 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 yeah, right. So, yeah. So, rather than simply, you know, it's not. It's that, and that now we're getting into philosophy when we start asking those types of questions. Mm -hmm. Right. We're no longer, I mean, technically, you know, physics. We're getting into philosophical questions, right? So the next point that he wants, so, you know, even with uh, Krauss's something from nothing and, and equals nothing or whatever, equals everything. Right? Something <laughs> right. from nothing equals right. everything. Right? Zero <laughs> equals the string of equations. <laughs> Zero plus nothing equals everything or yeah. something like that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so why do we accept these types of things, I guess? And he says, why then are we so susceptible to such unwarranted claims by scientists? He says a big part of the problem is is a lack of, and here's this theme and you right. know, thesis of the book, a lack of stu uh, studied skepticism, mm -hmm. right? We've become all too willing to believe metaphysical pronouncements, metaphysical pronouncements, based on scientific results. Mm -hmm. Scientifically proven, quote, scientifically proven, is our new quote, thus saith the Lord. Right. Right? And to be sure, science has gotten weirder and weirder, and this is largely because the world is even more so. So the success to strangeness ratio, right, seems to remain constant. As the success piles up, so does the strangeness. But tracking the world's weirdness isn't the problem. The problem occurs when we invent, when we add to the weirdness, <laughs> right. right? We don't need to do that. Truth is trainer than fiction in yeah, this case. Yeah, yeah. It's, and, and it's, yeah, and it's difficult enough on its own, and it's weird enough on mm -hmm. its own. When we start adding, oh, and by the way, everything came from nothing, weirdness, wait a minute. Right? Why are we doing that? The mere right. fact that scientists can propose quantum fluctuations, he tells us, of nothing and do so with such straight faces is pretty alarming. Right? Come on, folks, right? And they're the ones to look back and say, oh, you believe the... The humors of the body is what cause sickness. Huh. Yeah, yeah, we're, yeah. we're so far advanced that. No, no, see, there are these little itty-bitty things that you can't see unless you have certain you know, uh, training and, and, and technology. And those are the things that cause you to be sick, these little creatures. Yeah. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> yeah. you know. All right. So we've been slowly, he says, conditioned like the frog, the, frog, the proverbial <laughs> you know, frog in the boiling pot. Uh, slowly conditioned to believe that anything is possible. Right. And so the problem is discerning legitimate strangeness from literal nonsense. And of course, it's not easy. He says, I should also mention that we can't simply dismiss ideas because they're strange or uncomfortable. This is why any skepticism we adopt should be studied skepticism. Hmm. Right. Uh, we should avoid the reactionary. It's false because science says it, which is silly. Right. right? Yeah. So we, we, we don't we don't need to. Uh, we don't need to, um, right, like factor in 
other uh, new things that science doesn't say. Again, we we it's okay for science to have limits, is what we said in the last episode, and staying within that purview is just fine when it t- attempts to go outside. Uh, those those bounds uh, is when we get into trouble, and it doesn't seem like it. It, it almost seems like the world or people want to look at uh, these types of experts in their field and say, okay, now make claims about morality or uh, laws of logic or you know why the universe exists, and so you have them go on. Uh, you know, podcasts and shows, and talk about how um, you know. Th- th- I saw the Matrix, and that's a really good point. I'm I'm gonna. We're all we're all in the Matrix. That's that's fine. So we always need to be careful of that. Um, so uh, then he goes on to to say uh, or to ask the question: Could science ever show that God doesn't exist? Could it show that naturalism is true? Again, uh, that's the the main point of of most of these scholars is naturalism, the belief that all there is is physical reality. To be sure, scientific evidence can uh, potentially tell against certain specific religious dogmas who, uh, where the doctrines make the claim about the physical world. So that's the only time when they can enter into so when these that doctrines in- touch on claims about the physical right. world. Yeah. Then okay, yeah, science can 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 opine on that mm-hmm. right? because right. it's talking about the physical world. Right. right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> science and religion, he says, can dialogue, as they say. Moreover, beliefs about God can certainly affect the epistemic plausibility of a scientific hypothesis. For example, a trenchant belief that naturalism will make certain theories more attractive, epistemically speaking. And he says, take, for example, blind and unguided evolution. It's the only game in town for unbelievers. So no matter what the evidence, it has got to bear a lot of explanatory weight. Mm-hmm. And I, I forget the, the, the name of the guy. He's, he's not a believer, but he, I think he's from the UK, and he just takes evolution to task in fact he so he tends to be sometimes on panels where it's uh, evolution and creation or evolution intelligence design he tends to be the only atheist on the side mm-hmm. and he's, he talks about how how terrible um uh, evolution is and i'll i'll find him and, and put him up in the in the mm-hmm. show notes for this um so even even w- when you have someone who doesn't believe in god it's the ability to to um, object to um, evolution and just kind of all the claims that it makes. David yep, Brzezinski. yep. There you go. See, that, that's why we keep Tony around for for those names. Um, to take a more extreme example, if you begin by assuming that naturalism is true, making this a, a principle or what we call an axiom, so kind of like that that foundational point, then it is no wonder that one of your conclusions would be that God doesn't exist or that He didn't create the cosmos, right? And that makes sense. Uh, you know, we say that God made the universe. He's a non-physical being. He he enters into creation, and evolutionists come along and say the only thing possible are physical things. Therefore, God doesn't exist. Yeah. Well, well, right, and it, it's it's something that uh, if indeed the only thing that's possible is not, not <laughs> right. physical things, then clearly right. God doesn't exist. Yeah. Yes, right, and, and, and that's what uh, C.S. Lewis uh, um, claimed in his really good book, Miracles, um, and it's almost a presuppositional book. Is if you're worldview doesn't allow for things like miracles when i tell you that you know jesus rose from the dead your automatic assumption is well that's not possible why well because people don't rise for the dead okay well that that's a great (laughs) non-starter well i believe that no one rises from the dead okay well i told you someone did well i know that's not possible because miracles can't right (laughs) um there's this really really good quote that uh i wanted to kind of read the whole thing because it really shows uh from lise mullen 
uh, this uh, uh, doctor who wrote uh, Three Roads to Quantum Gravity. Actually, I don't know if he's a doctor. So um, he, he wrote uh, wrote this and um, listen to all the points that he makes concerning a worldview. And I think it's uh, it's uh, it doesn't lack presuppositionalism here. So we humans are the species that make things. So when we find something that appears to be beautiful and intri intricately structured, our almost instinctive response is to ask, "Who made that?" The most important lesson to be learned, if we are prepared, if we are to prepare ourselves to approach the universe scientifically, is that it is not the right question to ask. So that's a no-no question. No, no. Yeah. It is true that the universe is as beautiful as it is intricately structured, but it cannot have been made by anything that exists outside it. Okay. For by definition, the universe is all there is, and there can be nothing outside of it. And by definition, neither can there have been anything before the universe that was caused it, for if anything existed, it must be part of the universe. So the first principle of cosmology must be there is nothing outside the universe. Wow. Where did you get that from? <laughs> I mean, j just all well, those... everybody knows that. Yeah. Oh, it's by definition. The universe <laughs> yeah, that's is... the definition yeah. of the universe. Yeah. There's nothing else right. outside of it. Uni, one, verse, talk, out of one word, the universe came about. There you go. <laughs> yeah. See, I can do it too. It's just, it, that, that quote was, I mean, people who research books uh, for publication and find these quotes, I mean, they're, they're, they're perfect. Um, and, and so just, just the amount of... I, I, hopefully th this drives in the point that it's it's not about facts it's not about who who's able to glob on to um okay we've we've pulled we've pulled uh, fossils away from those evil evolutionists and now we can use it as evidence for god and we can point to the manuscripts of the bible uh but they can um pull in the the, the claims that uh jericho uh, never fell in the way that the bible describes it's not that it's about Again, the first point, the axiom, the principle, is about worldview and how important it is. So then uh, he goes, uh, Stokes goes on to say, we should all admit that our beliefs about God, either way, can influence our attitudes towards scientific evidence, which I think this that quote pretty much proves. Yeah. So the main reason why you religious folks believe in God is his rejoinder here, is that you think he's the best explanation for the universe's mm -hmm. existence and working. That is your reason for believing God in the first place is at least largely that he's the best way to account for the ways uh, things are. And so now he's going to question that assumption. Right. right. The reason why people believe in God is because they think that God is the best explanation mm -hmm. for things. Right. Is that true? So here's the question we need to ask ourselves. Is that is that what brought you to God? Is that what caused you to believe in God, that you did this philosophical movement that says, you know, well, let's see, everything needs an explanation, and therefore God seems to be the best explanation. Therefore, I'm, I believe in God. Is that is that the way most people come to believe in God? Right. Yeah, and that's and not to say question right. that, that's right? not to say that some people don't, in, in at least in that fashion, some people do look at the evidence, and you know, th there's there might be a movement towards um, intelligent design, but Th things like when we say God here, I think he has a specific definition of, of who God is, and that tends to be the, the biblical God, the God who saves. And so moving from just even intelligent design to the biblical Christian God, um, I, I think it would be hard-pressed for someone to say, I looked up at the moon, realized that it, it you know, 
is there and it hasn't traveled uh, as far along the way as what we th would think when the universe is uh, or the earth is so many years old and oh therefore god exists and jesus christ is his son and there, there's <laughs> there's more to it and clearly that's even what the bible um, talks about too yeah and so, uh, as we would expect with uh, Dr. Soakes, he brings in our good friend Plantica. Because yeah. uh, the question is, how many people believe right. that, you know, that God, believe in God, mainly because they think that God's actions is the best explanation for the, you know, all the universe. And he says, not many. Right. right? Maybe a few people accept religious beliefs strictly on the basis of what they take uh, the evidence to be. Perhaps, for example... This is true of uh, Antony Flew. In fact, it probably goes the other way. Since many people already believe in God, he's going to be the first round draft pick for an explanation of the universe. So uh, that's not to say that he doesn't drive additional um, support from the belief uh, in God, uh, f from his belief that there's an explanation for the universe. But weakening or even defending my belief that God God is the universe's cause wouldn't take away my grounds for believing that God exists. It might cause me some consternation, but it's not the primary belief. God is not a scientific hypothesis in his case or in our cases, and this is probably true of most most believers. Or a philosophical hypothesis, necessarily. <laughs> right. right? right. Got it. Uh, right. So my belief in God is not, he says personally, speaking for himself, my belief in God is not built upon the belief that he created everything. And I would suggest that many, if many believers, if they think through, didn't come to believe because they thought through uh, philosophical or even scientific problems. Some have, mm -hmm. right? But most people, they don't think about those things, right? right? In fact, the scriptures tell us that, you know, um, that we suppress the truth, that God has revealed himself. So we automatically, <laughs> right. right? This is the census divinitatis that he talked about mm -hmm. in the previous chapter. We already have some uh, some knowledge, you know, um, to uh, that, that God exists. Right? right. And we have to suppress that and come up with all some crazy ideas, right? And something from nothing ideas in order to get around those particular beliefs. But they, it's, you know, it's kind of like I don't do a, a logical uh, argument to show that this table exists. I believe the table exists. Right. 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 That kind of stuff. Now, you know, I do, and I don't even argue, well, let's see, I see the table, I hear the table, I feel <laughs> the table, therefore, I don't do that. Right. Right. It's just, I know the table is here. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't do this type of thing. So he suggests most of us don't do that kind of stuff with the existence of God. Right. Right. So Hawking and Krauss' arguments were entirely successful. Uh, even if they were uh, entirely su successful, uh, the most they may have shown is that it's not possible that God didn't create the universe. Yeah. So not not quite there, not quite there. Yeah. Uh, Krauss on the matter says, without science, everything is a miracle. With science, there is remains the possibility that nothing is. Again, going back to nothing. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so he he brings up this example, and it's probably not a uh, maybe not a the best example considering what we now know of Mother Teresa, but. Uh, Let's, let's assume that uh, what we think we know of Mother Teresa is true. If uh, you've always thought that Mother Teresa was a moral hero, someone wanders by, just someone, and randomly tells you that we don't know, that it's not astronomically impo uh, improbable that she was a complete hypocrite, would you be impressed? Even if Hawkins and Krauss have shown that it's not impossible that the laws of physics alone can account for the existence of the universe, which I don't think they have come close, we shouldn't be impressed. So mm -hmm. just as we wouldn't be impressed by someone trying to upend one of your 
kind of basic beliefs that is strongly held. Um, just because a couple of people tell you doesn't mean that we should kind of take the celebrities, um, scientists as, as kind of the be end all. End all. And so in the last section here, the next to the last section here, he talks about Sears versus craft, <laughs> crafts people, right? And the issue here is, uh, he said at the beginning of the, ninth, or the early 19th century, in the early 1900s, we had people who were seers, right? Who, uh, who were philosophers, natural philosophers, who, who were attempting to come up with these uh, theories, and they understood logic and philosophy were important in terms of coming up with physical theories. Since then, since about the 40s, he says, what we have are not seers like Einstein, Heisenberg, Schrodinger, and that sort of thing, but craftspeople, right? People who, instead of masters of philosophical creativity, these science scientists were technical virtuosos, right? Capable of astounding mathematical feats, but not as adept at fundamental conceptual issues. Mm -hmm. right? And so he, he suggests we, we really need both, and we really need seers, and we've moved away from seers, and we think that, you know, the uh, crafting is, is the way to go. Right, and what we uh, looked at right from the 19th, 20th century for, for those that kicked out philosophy and theology from, from the academic uh, world so that philosophy wasn't as stagnant as, as it was. Um, you, you kind of have this separation that if you're a scientist, you're, you're not really thinking about the, the bigger picture stuff. You're just trying to prove string theories, supersymmetry, all, all those things. And that, that's what gets you the Nobel Prize, thinking about the beauty of the universe like Einstein did, like uh, Newton did, like Aristotle and all the rest of them before them um, had this, this, this kind of well-rounded approach where kind of the meta the metaphysics also uh informed upon the physics yeah yeah all right so he ends this section this chapter and this section on uh on science and and god and um he says here we stand remember that i began the book as captain obvious <laughs> pointing out that unbelievers take reason and science very seriously in parts one and two however we've seen that many unbelievers aren't nearly as skeptical as they let on, and he suggests, as they should be, right? right? It seems to me that they should, uh, given their avowed eagerness to follow reason, be rather more skeptical about important matters like sense perception, reason, and science, and much less about claims that science shows that God doesn't exist, right? But suppose he says that I've been entirely off base, right? That indeed all of this stuff is is is, is indeed the case. Right. Suppose further that science <laughs> gives us the, uh, the genuine goods on physical reality and that it tells us important things about non-physical reality, namely that there isn't uh, one, right? That's, that's offering a lot for yeah, what he's just gone yeah, over. Right? Yeah. So he says, let's, let's just say, okay, we'll, <laughs> we'll allow him all that. He says, so suppose all this is true. What follows? from all of this, right? And so he thinks it's going to be something pretty unsettling mm -hmm. that follows, right. follows from this, right? So again, it seems odd that uh, that a Christian is calling unbelievers to be more skeptical. <laughs> and obviously he's doing it in a, uh, in a, a consistent with his own worldview, but he's also calling them to be consistent as well. And so... Um, he, he would he would say something along the lines of, you know, why aren't we, um, why aren't scientists as skeptical with their with the theories as they, as they should be, and uh, we, we know that he uh, 
he would say that this is the point of the book because we also interviewed him. Yeah. And that's for the next two weeks is what we're going to be uh, airing f uh, for part one and part two of our interview with Dr. Mitch Stokes, who is gracious enough to come on our podcast and talk with us for, for a good amount of time on uh, himself and the book. So it's not just going to be an interview about the book, although there will be some spoilers for the next section. So uh, that's why we kind of split it up between the two parts. The first part's kind of covering who he is and the science um, section of the book. Um, and the first part of the book as well. You can't forget that part. And then the, the uh, second part is going to be on the morality subject. And so um, if you want to save that for last, uh, we wanted to uh, to kind of get that out there because it was uh, good enough to, to um, realize what we were doing and um, offer an interview for us. Right. So. so so next time we'll uh, we'll hear from uh, Dr. Uh, yeah, and Stokes himself as we <laughs> talk to him about this particular book. So make sure you tune in. Uh, so if you like what we're doing and you like this, please subscribe, hit the, you know, the like button and, um, you know, let your friends know. And we'll, we'll be talking with Dr. Stokes um, next time. Great. So we will see you next time. And there'll still be a few uh, short clips in the, there, too, that uh, that you can share as well. So thank you. And we'll see you next time.